Good morning. This is a special day because we welcome our Las Vegas campus. And Vegas, we miss you. Man, I miss Las Vegas. So we're glad you joined us today, Las Vegas. And I keep saying it, but I'm going to get over there to see you soon. It isn't going to be long. And so welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, Las Vegas. I'm going to count to three, and you say hello back to us, Las Vegas, okay? When I count to three, Las Vegas, say hi to us, and we'll hear it, all right? We're tuned in. We'll hear it, okay? One, two, three. Hey, Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we got a lot to share this morning, so I want you to put on your spiritual ears. Remember when we used to be in elementary school and the teacher would say, put on your ears. Do you remember that? Well, put on your spiritual ears right now. Everything you're thinking about, set it aside. Some of you NFL fans can't wait to get home and watch the games today. I'm right with you. I want to watch them. But put all that out of your mind. Put out of your mind what you're going to have for lunch. Those juicy In-N-Out burgers. Put it out there. Forget about it for a while. And let's concentrate on what God has to say to us, okay? Father God, anoint this study right now. Anoint it. Anoint me. Give me, Lord, the wisdom and the anointing I need to share this. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. amen. The National Wellness Institute promotes the six dimensions of wellness. Now, I'm going to put those up for you. They say if you have these six things down... You're going to be holistically well. You have to have the emotional side down. And the emotional side is realizing the things in life you can change, the things you can't change, and then handle stress well. You've got to get that down. Maybe we'll do a series on this. I don't know. Then you have to have the occupational side down. That means finding satisfaction and fulfillment in your career in life. That's really important. Then you have to have the physical side down. If you're not feeling well physically and well, you're not going to be able to make these other things work for a holistic healing. Then you need the social side. The social side is the contributions you're making to society and your connectedness to them. There's, there's the intellectual side. The intersexual side is where you cherish intellectual growth. You cherish that. You're always reading new books. You're always growing. And then you're sharing that knowledge with other people. And then the spiritual side, we know what that is. If you have these six things down, you're going to be holistically well. And it dawned on me as I read this the other day, was reading about this, that the Apostle Paul had all six of these things down. And then I realized that a lot of other successful people I know have all six of these things down. I believe I even am working on all six of these things and making a lot of headway. So maybe we'll do a series on this. I want to really dwell on this for a while. I think it's really healthy for us to know. So what I want to do, I'm taking you somewhere. Look at your neighbor and say, he's taking us somewhere, because I am. But I want to begin today with a short Bible study in Luke chapter 8. I love to do Bible studies. And so let's look at Luke chapter 8. Let's pick up our study today in verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. Now, I want you to look at this Greek word for welcome. It means to accept with joy and to applaud. 
these people, I mean, Jesus was very popular in his day. I mean, people, multitudes were following him. Some of them probably got up at the break of dawn. They got up at six o'clock in the morning and they said, hey, Jesus is coming today. Did you hear? He's going to come to our area. They said that he's, he, he's, he'd probably be here about seven o'clock in the morning. Hey, are you going? Yeah, I'm going. How about, how about Joe and Jane and Sally? Have you told all of them? I told all of them. Let's get down by the lake and let's, let's welcome him when he gets here. And so they go down by the lake and there's a multitude already gathered there. Everybody's conversing going, are you sure he's coming? Yeah, he's supposed to be coming today. They said around seven o'clock and everybody's all excited. I wonder if he will heal us and do healing among us. I, I wonder what he's going to say. And they're all pumped. And then all of a sudden someone goes, hey, there's a boat. Here comes a boat. Oh, look. Hi, I think, I think that's him. Is that him? Is that him? Yeah, I, th- I think that's that Peter guy. I see the Peter guy with him. I think that's him. That's him. And they start going. <laughs> and they start applying. Woo! They start clapping. Yay! <laughs> The whole multitude. I mean, is that a cool scene or what? And Jesus comes to them. Now look at verse 41 and 42. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. This was a VIP in the Jewish community. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old. Remember that, 12 years old. And she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Now, I can only imagine the battle that raged in Jairus' heart and mind the night before he made the decision to go see Jesus and see if he would heal his daughter. I mean, Jairus was fellowshipping among a group of people that didn't like Messiah Jesus. They didn't like him at all. They thought he was a rebel. They thought he was a little bit tilted. And he was in that society that rejected Jesus. And yet he had a daughter that was dying. She was 12 years old, his only daughter. And I just imagine the night before probably what went through his head going, man, do I or don't I? Oh, if I go to him and he doesn't heal her and he proves to be a fraud, I'm going to be the laughing stock of my community. I could lose my job. But then on the other hand, it's my daughter. I cannot stand to watch her as she sleeps at night, tossing and turning with a fever. I know she's dying. The doctors have said she's going to die. They can't help her. What do I do? And I think he tossed and turned all night. Finally, he got up and said, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going to go see Jesus, man. My daughter means everything to me. I'm reading a book right now, and I just finished a chapter called Street Level Messiah. And it talks about how Jesus in the marketplace was so approachable. You didn't have to see his assistant first. You didn't have to make an appointment with him. I mean, he's God in the flesh. And he's just approachable. And, and let me read you something that really touched me. This author paraphrased the way they see John chapter 1. And I think it's really interesting. It says, when the desert preacher John pointed his pointy pointy finger and exploded, that's him. We couldn't believe our eyes. Goodness knows we had heard enough about him. He was all John talked about. But we'd actually begin to wonder if the desert, desert preacher really knew. 
Then rumors about him roamed the countryside. Strange things, lights moving through the sky, otherworldly choir music out in the country at night, disturbing ideas, miracles. Now here he was on our street. You could have knocked me over with a feather when John spotted him in the next block headed our way. We watched bug-eyed and held our breath while he walked by. My pulse raced. Yet, frankly, part of me was a bit disappointed. He was so ordinary. If John hadn't said something, I would have never picked him out of the crowd. He looked pretty much like any other Galilean carpenter, except maybe for his eyes and the way he looked at us. James and I didn't get a few strides past us. James and I let him get a few strides past us. Then we fell in behind him. I'm not sure why. It seems sort of dumb now as I look back, but somehow we couldn't resist him. I guess we both hoped he might notice us, and at the same time, we're afraid he would. Then without warning, he turned around and spoke to us. I was so rattled that I didn't really hear what he said. James told me later that he'd ask us a simple question. You fellas looking for something? Where my next line came from, I'll never know. But I stammered back, uh, uh, well, well, where do you live? Silly question. But it was all I could come up with. Yes, somehow the way he answered me made me feel as if it was the most appropriate question in the world. As if God had planned for centuries that I should ask that exact question. Then his eyes twinkled with a warm light and he said, come and see. We followed him home that day and we've been following him ever since. Jesus was so approachable. He was so practical, so loving. He drew people in. Look at verse 43, 44. So what happened is Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus and says, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus agrees to go. So now Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house and there's an interruption. Say with me, there was an interruption. When are we going to learn interruptions or sometime they're, they're, they're invitations to divine appointments. And so he's on his way. Jairus is saying, man, can you hurry? I'm sure in his mind he's going, can we hurry, man? She's dying. I don't want her to be dead before we get there. And then all of a sudden the parade stops. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years that could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Here's what Mark 5.26 says about this same story. Mark 5.26 says, This lady had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Listen to me closely, gang. Don't shut this out. She had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. Now, both Jairus and her had something in common. They were desperate. This lady started out, it looks like, as a lady of some means. She had money. She had spent all of her money on physicians. And Leviticus 15 says that because she had a hemorrhaging, she couldn't even touch people or be around people or she would make them ceremonially unclean. She's probably lost her family. She's lost her friends. She's lost her money. She has lost everything. And now her last resort is Jesus. Hello. Not a bad place to be. When we go to Mulahay, we see miracles 
after miracle after we see all kinds of miracles why because those people have no other alternative they don't have insurance they don't have money they don't have nearby hospitals all they have is jesus and we see healing after healing after healing. So Jairus and her has at least something in common. They're both desperate people. Now notice that Jairus has a daughter 12 years old. This lady's been suffering for that many years. Jairus is a VIP in the community. This lady, we don't even know her name, but they did have in common that they both were very desperate for a touch of Jesus. Look at verse 45, 46. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. But I love it when I see things in scripture that line up with my life. So often when I'm praying for the sick up here, I will feel this surge of power go through me. And sometimes we fall over. And I know that that sounds bizarre to some of you. I've seen all this fake stuff on TV where they push on people and spin, they fall over. And I, I don't have any explanation for that. And I don't really appreciate that. But I do know the power of God is so heavy when we pray over people sometimes that they fall straight over. It happens many times, many times. And sometimes I feel myself going with them. I remember on one occasion, I looked at Pastor Tom. I said, you feel that? I said, don't say a word. I felt it from here. It was the healing power of Jesus going through us. And Jesus felt that leave him. Look at verse 47 through 56. Now, I'm going to have to go fast because I'm running out of time already. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, now listen, let's hold this for a second. Your faith has made you well. Don't, don't, please don't let that just zoom right over your head. Your faith acting on your faith remember faith cometh by hearing hearing by a word of god god had spoken to this lady and she acted on her faith she didn't just sit on it your faith has made you well we've got to have faith today people your faith has made you well go in peace while he was still speaking, someone came from the house, the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Keep this here. Keep this here for a second, Sandy. Now, now think about what's going, uh, uh, what's going on in Jairus' head. He's going, man, we've got to get out of here. Oh. Then all of a sudden, someone from his house shows up and said, sorry man sorry she's dead she's gone don't don't trouble the master any longer she's gone now everything happens for a purpose i believe that this woman who was just healed by jesus was supposed to be a faith builder for jairus and so all of a sudden hope is gone can i tell you something hope is never gone when jesus is your lord and savior hope is never gone it's who am I speaking to? Hope is never gone. I'm speaking that to you and you and you and you over here. Hope is never gone. 
Let's move on. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe that she'll be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, James, and John, and the girl's father and mother. Now, they were all weeping. See, she, this lady had some, this lady, well, let's go to Jairus now, not the lady. The lady no, the lady had some means. She used it all up on doctors. But Jairus also had some money. And in those days, they hired professional weepers. And they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But Jesus said, stop weeping, for she's not died, but she's asleep. And leave this one up for a second, Sandy. And they begin laughing at him. They begin laughing, knowing that she had died. They're going, you gotta, you gotta get real, dude. She's dead. What do you mean she's sleeping? This is the same term used by Paul many times to refer to our loved ones who die, sleeping. Keep that in mind. But they, they laughed at him. They said, you, you Christians and your, your pie in the sky, <laughs> you, your pie in the sky. C.S. Lewis talked about pie in the sky and he said, either there is pie in the sky or is there's not pie in the sky. But if not, if there's no pie in the sky, that Christianity is false, for the doctrine is woven in to the whole fabric of the word. In other words, C.S. Lewis said, the problem is if there's no pie in the sky, then we're in trouble. But if there's pie in the sky, talk about it all the time, because that's the truth of the Bible. And they were laughing at him, knowing she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called her, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. Now notice, the same word that Paul used for our loved ones who have died, they're asleep. But her spirit was somewhere, wasn't it? Her spirit, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. And her spirit returned. Her spirit was somewhere else. Her spirit returned, came back from where her spirit was. She was still alive. Her spirit returned to her. And she got up immediately and he gave orders for something to be given her to her to eat her parents were simply amazed but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened now I told you two weeks ago I've been sick for about four weeks been in the hospital two days that was at the very first I was in so much pain I didn't know what it was they still don't know the doctors never found out but I was ill for four weeks. And uh, I told you even one time before I came out here, I was throwing up in the back before I came out here. I was throwing up right at home before I came out here and spoke to you. I never missed a, a, a service because of being sick, but I was really sick. And uh, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. Uh, when I say that, it's almost as if people don't know how to react. Uh, huh, oh, yeah, good. Uh, uh, that, that, that's great. Uh, 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 let's see. Maybe praise God. I, uh, they stand there and stare at me with this weird look like a deer caught in the headlights when I say, Jesus, heal me. 
They, they don't know how to respond. It's almost as if they're not used to hearing this. And they want to be polite, but they, they don't know to believe me or not. Jesus healed me. The doctors, they gave up. They couldn't find out what was wrong with me. And I got along with God one day, and I said, enough is enough. And within 30 minutes of prayer, I was totally healed on the spot immediately. And that was two weeks ago. Have not been sick since. In fact, he even healed me so well that things that were bothering me before I got sick for years, they're even gone. Now, I'm going to come back to that in the end. Jesus healed me. There's no other explanation. It has nothing to do with my cancer. My cancer numbers are good. People think right away, oh, he's dying. I'm not. I'm not. I can't go anywhere until God's through with me. I, I can't. It's not going to happen. Now, let's move on. Are you still with me? Healing was a major part of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. Look at Matthew 4.23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. I had a thought that hit me while I was reading this. I don't know. I was putting this down, this note down. I don't know if, Pastor, or if Dr. Peter Natalis is listening today or not, but... What if instead of building a school, what if we built a hospital as our next project in Africa? A hospital, and once a year, two or three times a year or four, we bring doctors over there and make it a spiritual hospital where we pray for healing before we even treat them. Where we cast out demons, because there's a lot of that over there. Where we actually pray over the shots and pray over the medications and do all of this. I mean, we can't do that. It's not politically correct it wouldn't work in america but why don't we try it over there a spiritual hospital now back to our text jesus went around preaching teaching healing and the church must prioritize the same three things see the bible says jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and if we're his body carrying on his mission and he's the same yesterday today forever he still wants to preach and teach and heal look at john 14 12 truly truly i say to you he who believes in me now listen this does not say truly truly i say to you if you're an apostle of jesus christ it doesn't say that truly truly i say to you if you were someone who lived in the new testament area no he says truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me that includes you and i that person the works that i do he will do also and greater works than these he will do because i go to the father I mean, what, a, what kind of greater works? Well, Jesus, when he was on this earth, he could only be at one place at one time. Now there's greater works because there's a lot more of us and we're spread all over the globe. And so we can do these things in a greater capacity. Now, when we talk about healing sickness, we must talk about both physical and mental sickness. Some of you don't want to admit it, but some of you listening to, to me today, you're mentally ill. You've never really come out and owned that, but you're mentally ill. You're mentally sick. You say, what are you talking about, Ron? Well, I'll get to it in just a moment. But in James chapter 5, that infamous passage that talks about healing, uh, James addresses both of these two, th two things, mental illness and physical illness, with two complete different Greek words. Look at James 5, 13, 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Oh, oh, I like that. What does it say? He must pray if you're suffering. You have to pray. 
Now, why would that be in there if prayer wasn't going to change the suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Then what's he to do? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Now, the word sick here is asthenio. Now, this word primarily refers to, it prioritizes physical sickness. Is anyone among you physically sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. What again? Listen to this is the word of God. He must call for the elders of the church. Why? Your prayers are just as good as the elders of the church. I think that one of the reasons that is put in here is that the elders of the church have the luxury that you don't have. They're in the presence of the Lord all the time, and they might be able to pray better for you. I think that's the idea. They don't have to work uh, 40, 50 hours in the secular employment out there. They're in prayer. That's one of the reasons. They know how to pray. They've been taught how to pray. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, oil. This is not some special oil. This is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You can use Crisco oil, olive oil. Uh, You can spit on your hand and say, God, make this oil. I don't think it's real essential that we get some olive oil or some kind of oil from the Holy Land. I don't think that's essential. The idea is it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And anoint him in the name of the Lord. Now, the word there is a special Greek word, but he's going to change it. Look at verse 15. He's going to use another Greek word. And prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. This is camno. This is someone who's worn out inside. They're mentally fatigued. And the Lord will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed his sins, they'll be forgiven him. Listen to me. Sometimes the battles and the hurt and the pain that's going on inside is worse than the stuff going on outside. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, depression. I've had a little bit of depression in my life. I haven't had to contend with very much. But depression can be bad, bad, torturous stuff. It's a dark tunnel you can't get out of. And you try and you try and you just can't get out of it. Some people live with regrets. Why did I do that? Why? I, I cannot believe I did that. I, I'll never forgive myself. It, it messed up my whole life. And they live with this torture day in, day out. They wake up to go to the bathroom at night and they start thinking about it. And they get a cold sweat, angrier at themselves. They can't forgive others. Bitterness hopelessness, grief. They lost a child and it's, it's, it's torturing them day after day after day. The Bible says that you bring this stuff to the elders of the church and God will divinely heal this in the same way he can divinely heal a physical ailment. That's the idea. James says that healing prayer can make all of these areas well. Let's finish the text. Verse 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective, fervent, ongoing prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Do you see the implication here? Elijah was just like you. But the idea of why he took this story and put it in here is he pictures our life as something that's barren and we're dying on the inside and we're hardened and we're not producing anything because we're mentally fatigued, we're mentally tired, we're mentally worn out, we're depressed and we can't bear fruit. And when the healing prayer is offered, the Holy Spirit comes down and moistens that ground and heals it and all of a sudden it begins to produce fruit again. That's why he ties that into here. Beautiful tie-in. Now, let me point out several fallacies about divine healing. Fallacy number one is this. Everyone who gets prayed for should be healed. The prosperity movement even says that real Christians should not get sick. Now, there are many reasons why some people do not get healed. There are many reasons. When I say that Jesus still heals people today, it's somewhat like saying that I believe air travel is safe today. I would tell you emphatically, I think flying on an airplane is a very safe, safe way to travel. But still, we know there are planes that go down every once in a while and everyone on the plane is killed. But that still doesn't stop me from saying that I believe air travel is safe. I know God still heals today. Are there exceptions to the rule where we scratch our heads and go, I can't understand? Yes, there are. But I still know that our God is a healing God. Now, not everyone gets healed when we pray for them. If that was true, no Christian would ever die. And people would come to God just so they could have a long life because Christians don't die. They get prayed for in a will all the time. Look at Psalms 39 and 4. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Psalms 139, 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written. The days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. That's one reason we don't believe in abortion. One of many. 2 Kings 13, 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was supposed to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him, saying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, there's a few reasons why people may not be healed when we pray for them. Number one is, it's their time to, to die. It's their time. I'm not even going to pretend that I understand this. Why did Charlie Garcia die when he died? I, I don't know. I'm still scratching my head. I could use Charlie a lot right now. Boy, I could use him. I have a dear friend in the hospital down at Cedar sinai right now, and we're praying for him, been praying for him for months, and he he's gets better and he gets worse. But I, I scratch my head. I don't know why some of those things happen. But yet I also know the dozens and dozens and dozens of testimonies I hear every month or two of people that are being healed divinely by Jesus Christ, and I am one of them. Now, number two reason people sometimes are not healed when we pray for them is the journey is sometimes more important than the destination. Remember when I had leukemia and I was wanting it to go away, how Belinda Matley came up one day and said, I have a, had a vision and you're out in the middle of a huge lake in a boat with no oars and I wanted to swim out to help you. But God said, no, that's right where I want him. 
right where I want him. See, instead of healing us right away, God allows us sometimes to walk through it for a while. I mean, I had to contend with leukemia for quite a long time before it went into remission. And God wanted to teach me a whole lot in the process. He didn't want to take it away right away. He didn't cause it to come, but while it was there, he said, I'm going to teach you a lot of things. I'm not going to lift this off of you right away. Because the journey sometimes is more important than the destination. See, I got more to say. Let's go on. I got to watch this clock today. We got Vegas. And then I, I like to get you out of here about in 10 or 15 minutes. Let's go to number three, why people aren't healed sometimes when we pray for them. It's because some sickness... And sufferings are for the glory of God. That's the reason you got sick in the first place. I mean, look at John eleven four. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but this sickness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Look at Philippians 1, 12. Now, I want you to know, brother, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. When Paul writes this, he's in prison and he's sick. And he says, because of this, it's put me in a position to minister to people I would never get to minister to any other way. Now, there's not a whole lot of things more powerful than a healing testimony. To be able to look at someone who's going through a bunch of junk and saying, hang in there. I was once where you're at. Another reason we're not healed is sometimes sickness can be used by God to refocus our faith. Look at Psalms 119.71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. See, I don't know if anybody understands this, but as I get older, I want to go back. I want to relax. I, I, I'm losing my radical edge. It's like I, I just don't want to fight anymore. I wanna, I, I'm getting lazy, and, and I think God's trying to wake me up. And every once in a while, he allows a trial to come in my life, and he gets my attention. Ron, get out there, grab your Bible, start sweating, start praying, start calling out demons. You can never stop living this way. It's not my will for your life. He has to wake me up. Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. And now there's a crown laid up for me in heaven, but I fought the good fight of faith. I keep going to sleep. We can't get lazy. We've got to stand in the gap. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you really battled in prayer for someone else other than yourself? I mean, you battled. You prayed to the point of perspiring. You grabbed your Bible and started quoting the word over them. That's fighting the good fight of faith. Healing prayer takes work and we get lazy. Second thing I want to show you real quickly is that you can't purchase a divine healing evangelists we see them all the time we have this healing oil we have this prayer cloth this holy water from israel just send us a donation and we'll get this stuff to you and, and man you will be healed i want to go back to a comment i made two weeks ago to make sure you didn't misunderstand it i was talking to you about having faith for the miraculous and i talked to you about hebrews chapter 11 that chapter on the, the heroes of faith and I said has anyone ever questioned like I did why would God start this phenomenal chapter about these miracles of God and these men and women who perform miracles why would he start this chapter out with two stories the first one is Abel who gave offerings in faith 
And the second one of Enoch, a man who walked with God and abided in, Je- abided in the Lord through faith. Why, why these two little more insignificant stories he starts out in Hebrews 11 before he gets to these big miracles. Why do he start out with these two little bitty miracles? And I told you, I think there was a reason behind that. Because until you can trust God in the small areas, like giving to God and believing God to bless you as you give. If you can't have faith that God will meet your needs when you give financially, you'll never have the faith for the bigger miracles. I don't want you at all to think that I was teaching you could buy a miracle. No, but you won't have the faith if you can't have it in those small areas. And with Enoch, he walked with God and was not. If you don't have the faith to abide in Christ and believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, if you can't get these elementary things down, you'll never have the faith for the big things over here. But I didn't want you to confuse that. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 17. For we're not like many peddling the word of God, but it's from sincerity, but it's from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. What about these televangelists, these faith healers on TV? Are they even really Christians? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Look at Matthew 7, 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons? In your name perform many miracles? And then he'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Fallacy number three, miracles no longer happen today. God doesn't do miracles anymore. Didn't you know that, Ron? Now listen to me. This is why it's so important that you choose the church you're attending prayerfully. There are many churches in Bakersfield even that says miracles ceased with the apostles. The apostles only did miracles so they could authenticate the gospel message. Hello? That's a crazy thought, and it's not biblical. You mean the gospel message needed to be authenticated then, but it doesn't need to be authenticated today? I mean, you know how many people out there think we're a bunch of crazy people who just believe in the pie in the sky? A bunch of them. Gang, miracles didn't pass away with the apostles because they didn't even start with the apostles. Listen to me. You better pray about what church you go to because it's a matter of life and death for you and your family. I mean, think about it. Elijah was away back before the apostles did all these miracles. Elisha did miracles. Daniel did miracles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did miracles. In the New Testament, Philip was an apostle. He did miracles. Stephen was not an apostle. Ananias was not an apostle. The Galatian church didn't have apostles in in, in their church, and they were doing miracles. All believers in Acts were given the miraculous gift of speaking in tongues. They weren't apostles. James 5 tells the elders who were not apostles to pray for divine healings. VBF has numerous miracles through the years. I mean, we've been built on God's stories. We even cast out demons. And again, no one can discredit or, or, or devalue or delegitimize these, these uh, demonic deliverance experiences. I mean, they're off the hook legit. And the Bible says that if you cast demons out by the power of God, that means the kingdom of God is resting upon you. I mean, my whole life I built it around God's stories. And if God didn't like what I was preaching, he's had the chance to get rid of me twice, and he hasn't done it. But in fact, he's done just the opposite. He's given me a miracle to prove that he's going to keep me around. 
God's obligated to take me out if I'm preaching stuff that's wrong. At least shut me up. At least stop this place from growing. What do we need in order to be partakers of the divine? And I'm going to end with this. Give you seven more minutes. What do we need in order to be partakers of the divine benefits of healing? Number one, we need faith that it's God's will to heal us. We need faith. If you don't have faith, you don't even need to pray. Don't even bother with praying. See, when I get sick, when I had cancer and they told me I was going to die, I didn't care what they said. I want to know what God said. And I believe it's my obligation to go to God whenever I'm given any bad health report and say, God, am I going to die or live? I want to hear from you. Tell me, am I going to live or die? If you tell me I'm going to die, I'm going to die in a sweet way. But if I'm going to live, then I'm going to rebuke it. See, the Bible says everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And then after you seek and find, it says everyone who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door is open. You can't knock a door open until you seek and find out God's will. So you've got to find out God's will. Am I to die of this? Or is this to be something that I, I'm healed of? Now, listen to me. If I had a drummer out here, I'd get a drum roll. Nothing makes sense without you understanding what I'm going to say in just right now. Listen, listen, visualize a drum roll. You've got to get this. If you don't come to the understanding and the conclusion that you're not of this world, even though you're in this world, and you don't belong here, this earth is not your home. Until you get that down, none of the rest of this will make sense. You've got to get this down. We see everybody out there battling politically on and on. I have to kind of rile myself up to get involved because you know what? This world doesn't belong to me. This world belongs to all those Republicans and Democrats that are out there fighting. Maybe that's their world. This is their world. It's not my world. I'm passing through. I'm an ambassador here to do a job. Does that mean I don't vote and don't get concerned? No, I must do that for the future generations. But I see everybody fretting over this world. This world is not my home. I'm a pilgrim passing through. Look at Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come back and get us. Look at 1 Peter 2.11.12 message. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live in an exemplary life among the natives. Among the natives, I love that. Love an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Look at Hebrews 13, 14, 15 message. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. No longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial whatever, whatever, and it goes on. Secondly, we need people who know how to pray and can teach others. I, I, I am so honored. I've, just been, I've been so proud lately. My grandson, who's turned in to be a spiritual stud, I mean, he's an athlete, he's everything. He called me last week and said, Papa, 
would you do the honor of mentoring me? He's my mama says, I have your gift. And I want to be just like you, Papa. Would you mentor me? And I said, I would count it an honor to mentor you. And so we're meeting once a week. I'm driving down to Thousand Oaks. He's driving up here. And he, he, his mom said, he's got these God stories just like you. He's got that anointing. So I'm going to teach him how to pray. I'm going to teach him how to do these things. Number three, need to pray fervently. Give me the Greek definition for fervently. We're to pray with force, prevail, might, robust, power. Now, and I got to end, but I've been sick for four weeks and I'm a slow learner. At this age, I'm still a slow learner. And I got up and I had this pain yet. And I'm going, man, it's been three or four weeks. God, I can't walk. I can't exercise. I vaguely can barely can preach. And I'm walking around. Finally, Debbie had to go somewhere. I said, Debbie, I'm going to be along with God right now. And I took my Bible. and I said, God, in the name of Jesus right now, I need to be healed. I said, your word says if I ask anything according to your will, you hear me. I know it's your will to give me my health back right now so I can finish this course. Your, by your word says, when you pray, whatsoever things you desire, believe ye receive them and you shall have them. God, right now, I believe in your word. You said, I shall supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so right now, I command every devil and demon of hell to get out of my body. I command every demon of hell be gone. You let your grip off of, let your, get your grip off of me, get your hands off of me. And I begin to pray, God, that I thank you. Apostle Paul taught me to pray with thanksgiving. And man, I went back and forth. And I, I, I think I even prayed in tongues one time. I, I really got into it. And I was walking and I was sweating and I was praising God for a healing, praising him for a healing. And all of a sudden I went and sat down. I heard this voice and it said, where's your pain at? I said, it's gone. Where's your nausea at? I said, it's gone. I, I'm hungry. I want a tuna sandwich. And all of a sudden, where's your pain in your back? Well, I've had that for two years. It's gone too. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You healed me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I receive it. The doctors could not figure out for the life of them. They took CT scans, which I'm deadly against, but I took one anyway. They did ultrasounds. They gave me all the medications. I threw, I put them away. I said, I'm taking them anymore. That's two weeks ago, gang. I'm here to give you hope. I've got so much more to say. I've said enough. I've always said I just plant the seeds and let you have it. Pastor Doug, you can take it from here. Bless you guys in Vegas. Love you, love you, love you. See you later. Pastor Doug, take it.